RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, welcome back to the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Andy Barkin, what is the 57th episode of the podcast. Uh, Andy's an experienced physio having worked in in rugby league with Leeds um, for a good, good number of years. And uh, he managed to get a role straight out of his internship uh, with them, which you know, if you listen to the end, you get tons of information if, you, if you're interested in getting a, a job in sport and especially rugby. And based on, on that kind of learning and as well as experience of years uh, in sport, he's written the new Grad Physio, um, which is a resource for obviously newly graduated physios for how to get into sport, how to how to learn the skills they need to survive in sport and and, and thrive. Um, so tons of good information. And definitely I love it when we get a physio on here because we kind of get a, an outside perspective of what we do strength and conditioning wise. So tons to tons to take away from it. So give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Andy, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Why don't we start by just telling us a bit about your background, uh, how you got into sport and some of the teams and, and athletes you work with. Yeah, well, thanks, Jamie, firstly, for having me on the on the podcast. Great to, great to be with you. So, yeah, a bit about my background. I'm a, a physio by trade. Uh, I've worked in sport um, from university, so I went to, straight to work in professional sport. And I've also worked in private practice during that during that time. So I qualified in 2010 and actually went straight into to working at the Leeds Rhino. So I had, I'd done a placement about a year sort of before I qualified as a student, and I just sort of got asked to... To stay involved with the club, I must have impressed them in some way, shape, or form. Not sure, not sure how I was a student, but um, they asked me to sort of stay involved. And, and during my last year at university, any day I wasn't in uni or working, or, or had any free with the guys there, I didn't know at the time, but they were sort of um, it was almost like an apprenticeship almost, like they were sort of uh, putting a lot of effort and time into me, which I just thought was great. And also, I was learning a lot, but they were sort of teaming up for a job. There was some restructuring happening at the club sort of year after which tied in with my, when I was sort of going to be finishing and then come sort of the, before I even actually finished university I'd been sort of offered a offered a job which was obviously unreal, unreal for me and uh, for me personally it was it was uh, absolutely fantastic because rugby league is is a sort of sport that I'd grown up with you know supporting from Leeds originally that was the place I sort of wanted to work so for it to happen so quickly I was quite surprised but obviously very uh, very happy with that yeah and, and then I spent sort of 10 uh, 10 seasons at the club, two a couple of years as the assistant physio on the first team and then eight, eight seasons as the as the sort of lead physio. Uh, and then sort of since then, I've always worked sort of privately for, for other people and then the last sort of four or five years um, for myself. So since uh, leaving the Rhinos, I left about 12 months ago. Uh, I've taken up a role now at the, the Football Association, so I'm a consultant there, do some work. So at the FA, combine that with my clinic work. I also do some consultancy stuff in uh, both rugby league and, and rugby union. Uh, look after a couple of couple of boxers. So it's very, very mixed. Um, very mixed sort of people. Very different to what I was doing, say, twelve months ago in, in sort of full time sport. But definitely keeps me uh, keeps me busy and on my toes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sounds, uh, obviously, good, very good CV and and. 
like I say, a variety of things you're working with which give you great experience, and hopefully we'll we'll tap into that now today. Um, let's let's get straight into it. And um, question I wanted to ask: you, we don't, or we get a lot of S and Cs, and you know the odd nutritionist. We don't get that many fizzies on the podcast. So while while I've got you here, I want to try and pick your brain as much as possible. So um, we'll jump in with what's the best way to prevent injuries. I know that's a very broad question, but how how do you approach it with when you're working with your your athletes? It is, it is tough. Um, I actually did I did a master's in sport and exercise biomechanics, and as part of the master's, I actually did a systematic review on injury prevention. So I was obviously working at the time, and I was working at the Rhinos at the time, and obviously we were a big part of our, our role as the medical team, and obviously alongside the, the coaches and S&C staff is to try, and obviously when players get broken, fix them back up, but ideally to stop as many players getting broken as possible. But in terms of the actual evidence base, it's pretty poor so far. For generic-based injury prevention programs, there's, there's quite a few big, real big sort of studies and programs in football. This is like FIFA 11, FIFA 11 Plus, and think a few programs like that. But the actual evidence base behind them is is relatively weak. And in terms of sort of injury prevention, I think I think what we do know is we know sort of correlations and things that maybe predispose you know maybe certain athletes and players to injury, but actually preventing injury, I think, is a completely sort of different different ball game really. And I think. That's probably in, in essence why those generic programs are not don't really work. So for me, I just think we need to, in rather than throwing you know general like prehab injury prevention, you know interventions if you like at, at players and athletes, is to is to make it really individually focused and you know assess and screen our athletes in a way that we can pick up you know if they do have you know problems with movement and that might solve you know maybe predispose them to a particular type of injury, but. You know, anecdotally, you know, the athletes that I've worked with, I've seen some of the worst, you know, movers in the gym and out on the field. But for whatever reason, they tend to be really robust. Some of the guys who you'd look and go through some sort of movement screening and testing, and they'd be at the top of the tree, uh, almost like a bit of like a racehorse, you know. But they're breaking down every other week. So, uh, I think in the world of sport, it is it is pretty tricky. But uh, as a medical professional, I think one of the things that we miss a lot of the time, particularly working in sport, is uh, the effect that the past injuries can have on on um, on the body and, and future injury incidents. So, what to summarise that that might be, you know, a player's rolled his ankle last season, and basically there's been a chain of maybe compensations which led him to then develop some maybe you know opposite side of the body, but some groin pain or, or hamstring injury, and it's just sort of then trying to fit everything together and piece together the athlete's story to try and decipher you know what's actually caused you know that injury in the first place because using hamstring as an example, you know, it's all well and good, you know, treating that hamstring injury and getting that player back, but if not if not addressed what's actually, you know, probably caused that injury in the first place, if it was that old ankle injury or something, something else, then the, the, you know, potentially, you know, there's a there's a high chance that they might break down again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's uh, you'll know better than anyone, but once you get one injury there's some sort of compensation that happens and and like you say, there's a, a trail of injuries following that. Um, you, you touched on uh, like movement screening. Um, what what sort of um, approach have you taken to that? Do you, have you got your own individual screening, or have you you know a lot of people talk about functional movement screen? You know the the kind of the 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 mainstay in the market there. Have you used that, or or how do you approach it? Yeah, so I've actually, I used the FMS early, sort of early in my career. Uh, done some other like movement screening, loads of courses, and things like that. But I've sort of moved away from that, particularly over the last sort of four or five years. And I have, yeah, sort of developed my own sort of style, if you like. But what it is 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 pretty basic. You know, looking at 
uh, more global movement patterns and, and tying that really in with their past medical history, so their previous injury history, and, and trying to build a bit of a, a you know good picture about, about about an athlete and you know what problems they've had in the past and why that sort of trying why would that sort of make sense. So if we try to build that sort of story and it actually makes sense to us why you know someone has developed these injuries. You know, rugby is a, a obviously clear example where you are going to get you know some contact injuries and. You know, to a certain degree, there uh, some of them are going to be a bit of an occupational hazard for for sports like rugby. But those obviously soft tissue ones are, are the injuries that we'd maybe look at. You know, trying to you know trying to reduce an incidence if that's if that's sort of possible. And one thing I did mention before, which is probably a a massive part of, of injury you know prevention or, or management, and players are even returning back from injuries, is a sort of loading. I think that's just where the sort of relationship, particularly in a club setting, between you know, the coaches, the, the S&C guys, the medical staff is so, so important because I think at times exposure to load is one of the biggest you know, injury contributors, whether we're underloading or overloading players. Uh, and just, you know, we need to make sure, particularly from an injury standpoint when players are coming back, that we are exposing them to, you know, the loads and the frequency of loads that they, they need to do really to obviously to be robust enough to go back into a rugby game, football game or, or whatever if it's everyday life, you know, someone I'm seeing in clinic, then that the that once a stressful situation does come up, they're not gonna not gonna break down, they're gonna be able to cope with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think I saw a, a study recently showing um, you know, you're fifty percent more likely to get an injury if you haven't been able to take full part in pre season. So obviously yep. it just shows you how important it is that loading to build that robustness. But also then, you know, where there's an injury and, and being able to bring you up above that that sort of point where you are robust, so to speak. So yeah, definitely a good point. And brings me to my next question actually is is kind of how you you integrate and liaise with the, the S and C coaches um like during the rehab process and in general, I guess. Uh yes, obviously it's, it's so so important and I think sports are an example where if, you know, if you do get that wrong it can have a big impact not only on you know, injuries and things like that, but also the, how the team sort of performs and the ability of the players to, to sort of do, do what they do. And I think, for me, probably a, a big error that I made early in my career was almost when players were, were injured or, or what have you, returning from injury, almost being a bit too protective and trying to keep do too much myself, where I was almost trying to be a physio slash hybrid SNC slash sort of coach. And I probably learned over time. And, and that comes with relationship with staff and having trusted other people's expertise as well. But, you know, those people are experts in their own right. And I think just to, to try and use them and utilise them as much as possible, you know, is, is advantageous to, to myself as a physio or to sort of any other sort of practitioner, really. And, you know, for example, if if I was using some sort of Olympic-style lifting in, in the gym, there may be an SSE coach who's much better at coaching that than me. Uh, I certainly not really good at Olympic lifting myself, so <laughs> I wouldn't be too keen on demoing uh, some of the lifts. But but in uh, but on in like a, on a serious point, if someone's really good at that, then I'd be it'd be a bit dumb of me really not to use their their sort of skill sets to to deliver that. Uh, if it's a player coming back from a, an injury where they're doing some like a rugby player, for example, doing some sort of like uh, tackle technique stuff, you know, getting like a coach involved in that process. As long as the coach obviously has to understand the. Maybe limitations that they might have at that particular point in their injury, but as long as that's clear and we divide the session together, it's probably better to be a coach-led. Obviously, I might be there just overseeing it or in the distance, making sure they're not doing doing what they're meant to be doing. But um, it, yeah, it's better to get those clinicians who are, like I say, experts in that sort of domain uh, involved with a player, whether they are coming back from injury or, or just in general training as much as possible. 
Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. You said it's good to have, you know, you still be there as well because then you get that, that you know, collaboration and and, and better communication that goes through as well. Um, just rewind a little bit, going back to injury prevention. Just wondering with you know your your experience whether you've you've actually brought in some sort of training modality or, or process that you've actually seen has really improved um, or, or decreased um, injuries? I know it's like maybe the holy grail you're looking for, but is there anything that has had an impact on, on injuries? On the injury stuff, yeah. So in, in terms of probably what you touched on a little bit before, James, so in terms of like more sort of like the loading management right. and like the, the daily, the daily uh, reactions to, to load. So we know that, you know, a team of rugby players could do exactly the same session maybe doing some like mass running or something like that it could be literally exactly the same session they could be the same distance similar sort of intensity similar happy or, or whatever else but we know that maybe when those players come back into the training ground the day after and they may be going through say for example some more like morning screening monitoring type stuff their reaction to that stress that session even though it was the same will be very very different and i think uh, over time with our the, the sort of daily sort of screening and monitoring Sort of processes that I, I use and found most effective were probably getting more and more simple and simple, but were a combination of some objective markers and subjective. So subjective being how the how the players feel, how the you know how they rate their sleep and how recovered they generally feel, and then some real objective markers. There's a decent amount of evidence with uh, using measures like uh, adductor squeeze, which we use quite a lot as like a more of like a central nervous system fatigue marker, uh, and I think. Having, you know, I was very fortunate to get the, the Rhinos for a large chunk of time that I was, I was there. We had a really consistent playing group. We went, you know, 10 new signings every year. So we were able to collect some really good data for over like a period of seasons for, for players, which I appreciate in some environments is not always possible. We've got players coming in and out from different clubs and what have you. But we found some really sensitive uh, measures. But again, they were very individual to, to individuals. So there wasn't any like global, if players are, below 80% of their adductor squeeze, the players are going to break down. It was very, very individual to, to certain players, to the point where we were almost certain when a player presented in a certain way that they were probably going to break, and then we could maybe obviously tailor their their training week and, and game you know, exposure um, obviously where needed. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I guess to like say you've got the benefit of having that settled squad and you the advantage of that is that you've over time been able to work out what works for people as individuals but it just shows you can't just go in set up a new screening sort of process and go right hold on they're going to get injured you know without having that you know those years of, of experience of working with them individually so that's, um, that's really interesting that, um, that's what I was, that's what I was sort, of, sort of hoping to do with the was almost like you mentioned the holy grail with the biomechanical stuff and that's why I went down that route with my MSC because yeah. I you know when was a bit naive of me but I was thinking you know I could put a group of players like a squad through some sort of biomechanical screening and then I'd be able to obviously like monitor injury stuff and see if I could like link it back to that with the with the idea I guess in, in some in some way I'd be able to develop like a obviously like a profile or, or, or some testing where I'd be able to identify problems before they were becoming problems and then intervene in a way to, to reduce injury. But like I say, whether that was a bit a bit naive of me, but it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. But going through that process and, and the MSC and, and particularly the dissertation and the study uh, probably highlighted, you know, how how multifactorial and how difficult sometimes it can be to, to sort of deal with injuries. Yeah, I think it's the Durning Kruger effect. The, the more you kind of learn, the more you realise you don't actually know. So that, yeah, that pretty, thing, pretty much. Yeah. Just get a bit more frustrated. Um, 
But uh, the next question uh, we, we ask all the guests on, and like I said, it's normally S&C coaches, so I think it would be really interesting to get a perspective from a physio. So uh, what is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning, in your opinion? Um, so with lots of the athletes, I think sometimes they think that, that more is, is better almost. So in terms of you know more volume of whether that's stuff in the gym, you know, speed work or whatever it is, whereas you know we know we can load... Uh, athletes and players in a way to get you know adaptation sometimes it's volumes not the you know overriding I guess uh, factor to that and it can be it's almost like getting athletes to uh, almost like train a bit smarter not just not just harder if that makes sense which sometimes for, for athletes I think it's, uh, it's obviously a, a big um, like a, a big sort of concept but they really struggle with that it's almost and I think sometimes you know, some of the coaches and things that I've worked with, they, they're completely the other side of the of the coin where it's always more, more, more. You, you know, you'll know yourself, Jane, when sometimes maybe the teams you've worked with are not going too well. It's next next day the training ground. It's uh, we'll, we'll do more than we probably planned to do last week because uh, they need to obviously, I know sometimes they need to work on you know, certain aspects of the game that maybe didn't go as well as they wanted, but it's almost that, that sort of volume culture to do more. That's, that ultimately means better. Yeah, Dave, you kind of got a culture in rugby of of more is better, and and also you know the feeling you have to be fatigued for it to be a good session. So it's, sometimes they do more and they do it with less rest, and and then like you say, the, the intensity is what is sacrificed. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely something you see a lot. Um, next question now. Try and make this a. It's the first time I've used it on the podcast, but it's something I'm probably put in regularly now. And I don't don't want to get you into any trouble or anything, but it's. Um, it's good to see how people reflect on on their sort of performance and and what they do. And it's good. what's the biggest mistake you've made? So I made made quite a few mistakes during my uh, during my time, but particularly more so as a as a probably a new grad physio. So when I was sort of like first transition out of university and and sort of into the into the real world as I as I sort of call it. There's one one big moment stands out to me where I was uh, asked to assess. I was an assistant physio at the time, but I was literally month or two probably out of out of uni and starting obviously starting my first role at the, at the Leeds Rhinos I was asked to review a player who did his ankle the day before um, and then I basically worked through my assessment asking all the sort of medical questions that we that I would ask went through my objective assessment so I did all the, the testing stuff on the bed and what have you and I literally got to the end of that uh, process and I literally had no, no idea what was going on and I think at the, like the at the time um, I think I, the player knew knew that, and obviously that that was what I would like call like a like a big like aha moment, and that's probably the point where I probably realised I come come for uni, I've been done, done quite well in terms of my you know my classification of degree and all the placements have gone really well and everything else, and I probably thought at that point I was a little bit better than what I was. If I'm being totally honest, looking back now, uh, but that was a big like aha moment for me where I, I realised that what I actually did know at the time and what I actually needed to know uh, where there's a big disparity between the two and you know some going back to sort of mistakes I could name like you know 20 30 different scenarios probably like that where sometimes maybe put put my um, head in the sand a little bit and just cracked on whereas I was pushing you know players a little bit too hard and not really probably that had sort of maybe high level thinking where I sort of take a step back and be able now to be able like you know what that's not what I, I should be doing type thing but as a new grad, obviously it was quite difficult. But so that, that's maybe a, that ankle injury was probably the first time where, you know, and, I, and actually then rather than what you know I would do now, you know, even as a as a senior 
a therapist, if you like, if I was working in an environment and I wasn't sure about something, I'd, I'd probably probably admit that to a player. Like it's it's you know, difficult to test, or you know, I can't give you a definitive answer right now. Rather than what I did then was just sort of like make something up, you know. And that's what I generally used to do. Yeah. It was whether that was fear of you know not sounding like I didn't know what I was doing or whatever it was, I don't know specifically what that was. But you know, and I I now. Um, so I, what I did say at the start, actually, I, I work with the new grads, so I have a, what's called a new grad physio membership, which basically try and helps therapists, physios, sports therapists, sports rehabilitators to overcome all those challenges and the challenges that I had as a new grad and, and they and they have, you know, it's, it's just a top of help and giving them that help and support that they need to, to smoothen that transition uh, from university and into the real world because it's, you know, for, for me it was without question the most difficult part of sort of my therapy career. Yeah, I oh, know. Thanks for sharing that because um, I say it's sometimes you know difficult looking back on your own mistakes, but also they're kind of the the big periods where you you make massive steps forward and, and you learn yeah, from. So it's good that other people can learn from it, and and like you say, you're you're helping people in that position now because, yeah, I mean, every, everything you learn in, in uni is obviously the foundation, but this is such a massive step up when you're actually in the environment and and. I guess that having that humility to understand, as as we said before, you you kind of get to a point where you realise you don't know everything, and uh, and you, you're going to keep a player's trust if you're honest to them from the start, and and you know, find you know work a way out of, of figuring out what's going on, whether it's asking another colleague or something. So no, it's, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, so back to back to rehab and more kind of end stage re- return to play. Now, what, what's your kind of approach around that? How do you help players? Get back from they've just recovered from an injury and they're they're trying to integrate back into their into their rugby in this example. So it probably links back. Uh, we'll just link back to what we, we talked about previously and uh, trying to link in with with other staff. So I've always sort of worked in environments where we've been very fortunate in terms of equipment and we have things like you know GPS and I appreciate some other listeners to the podcast might be environments you know amateur baseball or whatever where they've not got that type of you know monitoring if you like. But what we did with with you know, our athletes is basically if we if we know what the end goal is, so with a with a player and the demands of a you know a winger or a, or a prop or, or a halfback or whatever it may be, if we know we're obviously trying to get them back to and what their their, their normal output is for for a game, their end stage rehab ultimately needs to match that. So then we know we we're not expose them to you know the amount of running high speed running the amount of collisions or whatever it may be and we can almost make up sessions and drills that mimic the match demands of, of say a rugby player which like i say in a, an elite setting is is relatively straightforward to do and obviously the sessions prior to that are, are obviously building up to that that would be like a sort of field based example but the same the same thing would go for your you know your gym based progressions if you if you tested players before in the gym and you know what their sort of like baseline levels are, we want to get them, you know, at least to back to their baseline, if not exceed them during their sort of rehab process. So we know that when they are you know, going back into to rugby or, or other sports where it may be, they're, they're going to be you know, resilient enough to be able to cope with the demands. What I would say is that for those clinicians who maybe don't have access to things like GPS and all those you know, high level monitoring things, there's, there's pretty good data already out there and evidence on, on what the match demands are of, of, the, of the biggest sports like rugby and everything else. So you can then, you know, tailor or design sessions based on that. If you know and the average distance covered for like playing positions and what that sort of, you know, 
exposure might look like. You might do a you know a ten a ten minute block of, of a drill where you can sort of mimic if you know a, uh, a centre mix that probably run this amount of distance and uh, this much at high speed and, and make this many tackles. You could almost mimic that in terms of your like sort of high end or end stage sort of rehab on the field, for example. No, that's that's a great example. So yeah, definitely, it's kind of reverse engineering it. You know, they know the end goal in mind, and and they just kind of work back from that and 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 build back up to it. And and yeah, definitely in terms of the gym, it's great that they they shouldn't have rough idea of what their what their best performances are, so they can try and and build up to them. And and like I say, if it's a long term injury, there's some some of those measures that they should be above and beyond because they've had time to 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 build it up and come back stronger. So no, great advice. Again, next question is one that um, is, is going to be a regular on the podcast now, and it's um, again be good good getting a perspective from a physio. Uh, if you could change one thing about the strength and conditioning industry, what would it be? Yeah, so it's quite a quite difficult question. Question, yeah. So um, I, what I'd probably say is it probably goes for for the therapy profession as well. And, and my career is is almost I don't know how to put it across, but um, probably as professionals, we we need to sort of stay stay in our lane a little bit. And I think um, having worked with uh, a lot of different practitioners, so like coaches, SNC guys, all, all the sort of different performance uh, practitioners, if you like, that the, probably the clinicians or the environments I've worked in that have been more successful are where there's sort of almost like trust within, you know, with each other's staff that we, we, we trust and respect each other's sort of role in that sort of MDT or that sort of process, that multidisciplinary team to, to get the same goal. We're all obviously in a rugby environment. We're all wanting the players to, to stay injury free, to be physically as ready as they can and ultimately perform on a, on a match day. We're all working towards the, obviously the same, the same sort of goals. I just think sometimes in, in some of the clinician practitioners that I've worked with in the past where for whatever reason that when they when they've sort of jumped out of out, jumped out of their lane and, and what they're sort of good at uh, in terms of their skills and expertise and try to, you know, like probably like I said when I was an early uh, therapist when I was trying to almost be like a hybrid S and C coach, but I'm not an S and C coach, I'm a, I'm a physio. Um, do I understand rehab and the gym and obviously use that a lot in terms of rehab, but I'm definitely not an S and C coach. So that was probably a, an example where I was maybe you know, verging into the SNC sort of lane, and I think you know SNC coaches do it, like I say therapists do it, coaches do it. You know, coaches do it quite a bit when they're trying to be involved with conditioning of players on the field and, and things like that. I've seen that you know many times in, in sort of my career. I think if we, I think that only happens when there's not a good relationship between between the, the, the team and staff, and, and then people feel like then they need to you know almost veer into someone else's lane and, and sort of do their role. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, I think yeah, um, yeah. you mentioned it in previous answers. It's, the, the word was trust. You know, there's got to be that trust there, and then, then you don't find people kind of overstepping the boundaries and you know going into someone else's realm. And, and also in terms of coaches, you know, if if they trust you, they're they're going to listen to your opinion and not you know try and stick their oar in too much. So yeah, definitely, definitely come as you said comes down to relationship with with where it's S&C, physio and, and coaches. So good point. Um, and what um, what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? You know, what, what do you think would help them, you know, career-wise, whether it's, I mean, like you said, you, you obviously did very well going straight from a placement into a into a position. What advice would you give? Yeah, so the prime... From like a student to... Uh, you know, success I had early because was was pretty much down to the fact that I was just in a really good supportive environment. So I had a, you know people around me who 
sort of fostering a really good environment for me to learn and ultimately to, to progress really so no, I see it a lot with the therapists that the new like physios and sports therapists and sports rehabilitators that I work with, where sometimes they they probably don't understand that. And you know, I was probably the similar sort of thinking when I first came out of university. When I thought, like I said, uh, I thought it was pretty good and done pretty well, and then obviously hit hit home to me that was a lot that I needed to know. But I was fortunate in that environment that I had, you know, two therapists in particular who were more experienced than me, who were almost two, three steps ahead in their career than I was. And they were able to sort of basically guide me and, and, and teach me the the sort of the pitfalls that are the challenges that I would be coming up to almost, you know, diminish those challenges when they did actually happen. They still happened, but then I was in, in a position where I'd been taught the the right skill sets, you know, whether that was related to my assessments or treatments or rehab or, or working with other people, you know, how to communicate with a head coach. Uh, and all those sort of things that I'd sort of been trained up in. So using the example of like speaking to like the head coach, for example, obviously as, as the assistant physio, I would speak to him, but I wouldn't be that, you know, the therapist going in on a morning, giving him like a handover and being the, the in effect the therapist, making the big, big calls on players. So when I transitioned from being the assistant to the head physio, I'm not, I'm not saying it was easy because it was, it was really a tough transition and it was still, you know, very early in my sort of career. But I'd been taught, and we'd actually like even practiced out, you know, conversations. And he'd, you know, the physio that sort of mentored me, had, had sort of told me this is probably how you deal with that sort of situation. So like when when those things sort of happened, I was I was sort of ready. So, so my advice, almost to summarise that, would be just to try being around people that are going to you know challenge you, that you feel you know confident, and you can bring up problems, and they'll and they'll put some time and effort into sort of helping you out and help to really foster your development, not only in your learning, uh, but also in your in your career development. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. definitely good advice. Building your network, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, And then, are there any books you'd recommend, whether it's you know SNC physio related or or you know just anything in general? So if there's any therapist listening, they could, they could, buy, they could buy my book. It's a book, uh, Ooh, a book, a book, a book, a book, a book earlier in the year. So no, one of my one of my big um, sort of one of my big goal goals or things that I set down to this, this year was to write a book. So the early part of actually 2019 uh, was in uh, my office at home or in various coffee shops in around the Leeds area, uh, writing a writing a book, which was which was pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed enjoyed the process of doing it, and um, so if any therapist listening, obviously they can check it out. It's called the New Graph Physio. But in terms of probably SNC and um, coaching, will obviously probably be the, the guys that listen to this podcast. I just think I wouldn't really advise any specific books, but in relation to maybe the the best practitioners that I work with um, of an SNC background, a lot of those in terms of obviously I've talked already so many times about how closely we work together and particularly about end stage rehab and, and during the whole rehab process. But those who have got like some basic understanding of, you know, anatomy and you know, understanding of injury and things like that, and, you know, it, it, it makes that sort of relationship and how well you work together, you know, so so much easier. Um, and the same would go for a therapist, you know, therapists that are, I'm not saying you're going to, you know, train or uh, as an SNC coach, as a, as a sideline gig or anything like that, but understanding, you know, what, you know, what, what you do and, and why you're doing things and having those, that sort of maybe the SNC principles, you know, basic, you know, I'm, I'm not going to know as much as you, Jamie, for obvious reasons in that to me, and that's, 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 that's sort of your thing. But, you know, I think for a, for an SNC coach to have that basic anatomy and understanding of injuries uh, can be, you know, really, really helpful in that sort of process in, in managing your athletes. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's kind of then everyone's talking the same language as well, aren't they? You know, we're we're very good at having our own little lingo, and um, it it can kind of get confused. But if if you know you've got a, a good enough understanding of of physio and, and S and C vice versa, it's it just helps that communication between. So definitely good good yeah. points. I think that feeds in with like the, the biggest breakdown in or problems that arise in a, in a sports setting or, or whatever it may be generally come down to people's lack of understanding and sometimes once proper communication and communicating ideas and why people are doing things but ultimately sometimes understanding because you know some of the I think back to I won't, I won't uh, tell you any in detail but some of the like bust-ups I've had with coaches or disagreements if you like want to call them that in the past over the years have generally been down to this one particular player and, and maybe that didn't align with what he, he sort of thought they, they should be doing or, or whatever whatever else. So sometimes it's just down to that understanding and usually, you know, not all cases, but if people understand things a bit better and you know, and that's I think as practitioners, whether you are SNC or a therapist, we need to probably take that upon ourselves to, to be aware. Like I'm saying, you don't need to go study an additional degree and, and that sort of level of, of sort of qualification, but having a basic understanding of what other practitioners are doing and why they're doing it I think is just so so helpful yeah definitely uh, lastly Andy uh, where can people learn more about you uh, so I've got obviously they, they are very therapy focused but there'll be some a lot of concepts like the communication and things that we, we spoke about uh, so I write a, a blog at neurophysio.com I also have a podcast as well which uh, sort of launched earlier in the year which again you can get all the links to that upon the on the website, uh, I'm on social media, so the easiest way is just to search for New Graph Physio. And then, if anyone has any like specific questions about anything we've spoke about or wants to reach out to me, uh, that's perfectly fine. So, my probably easiest way to do that is either through social media or my emails andy at newgraphphysio.com. Cool, awesome. We will we will share links to all of those in the show notes. But uh, yeah, just to wrap up, Andy, great great to talk to you. Great to get that um, that sort of perspective from a physio and, and hear about injury prevention and, and how you approach return to play and stuff. Uh, great chatting with you and just all the best for the future. Oh, thanks, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me on and thank you for everyone for listening. Cheers, mate. Yeah, so as I said at the start, and I'm sure you'll agree, um, it's great to get that kind of physiotherapy um, sort of viewpoint from the S&C side. Um, always, to have, always good to have eyes you know, from the outside looking in at what we're doing and from a different perspective. So that's really interesting. And of course, you know, some great information of, uh, if you look into work in sport and rugby, um, some great advice as well. So thank you, Andy, for coming on the show, taking the time to talk to us, uh, and all the best in the future. Uh, in the meantime, guys, still more podcasts to come, so please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, whatever you use for podcasts, and, of course, give us a five-star review. It is all much appreciated. And if you find any of these podcasts um, you know, beneficial or you think you know someone that might help as well, please share it with them. Um, please spread the love. And, uh, yeah, just keep checking us out at rugbyrenegade.com and through social media. There is more to come. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.